Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Good Phil. Phil? I said Phil Hunting in the, the previous <laughs> intro and that's what's in my head. The show is called Good Film Hunting and I'm joined by Natasha who I was told to say is my partner to Absolutely. ward off all those bitches who <laughs> listen to this show which is an audience of about five and they're all men over 65. So I think you're you fine. Know. I think you're f- I-, I can see the demographics on uh, YouTube. Right, so we're here to talk about The Flash. Directed by Andy Muschietti, if that is pronounced right. We do butcher things on this show. Did I say your name or did I just introduce you as my partner? No, you said my name. Okay, good. Right. My Remember name's her? Natasha. Oh, I like the radio voice. <laughs> um, yeah, so Natasha, where are you on the DC universe, the cinematic universe? I know you're a fan of Marvel Cinematic Universe, which seemed to have a plan. How do you feel about the DC Cinematic Universe and the, the Flash? This is my first introduction of the flash but yeah i mean i i have uh a kind of a generalized understanding of the comics it's not like i'm i'm a avid comic reader Mm. um in terms of the dc cinematic universe i don't really like many of the movies yeah it's less to do with the fact that oh you know they change things from the the comics so i'm i'm not really that comic book nerd about no Yeah. yeah i'm not that precious about it it's more that there is, um, I find that the way that they they did, for example, Batman versus Superman, yeah. was um, kind of a bit rushed and it felt like the characters didn't make much sense. And yes, kind of because of how I, I know what they're like in a general sense, like Batman is quite mm. dark and, you know, he's, he's quite... A tortured soul and superman is supposed to be the light of humanity even yeah he's he's an alien but it just it just felt like it it just it wasn't done very well and i felt like the justice league was low impact you everyone was expecting you know like the justice league yeah and it, it didn't give that kind of impact and i just i didn't enjoy it that much but you know the flash the Flash hit different. I, I quite liked it. Yeah, well, for instance, in the Batman versus Superman, did you know that Batman and Superman both have a mother named Martha? And that I, would I be... Did. I didn't. <laughs> and yeah. that, did you know that would be the bonding moment over them? Like, when, when, when they did that scene, was like, Martha, why did you say that name? <laughs> I was yeah. kind of like, oh, okay, right. And then I showed you uh, The Dark Knight Returns, the cartoon that it's based on, where, like, you have a an old Batman getting hunted by Superman and that's a lot better movie. But anyway, The Flash. So we both come in with low expectations. We actually saw the movie twice. One was an unfinished version, which I'm kind of wondering now what was unfinished other than the the very end cameo, which we'll get to uh, a bit later. But for one thing, a lot of controversy around Ezra Miller in this movie. Um, I'm going to ask you in a minute did that interfere in any way but for me he annoyingly so really makes this movie in terms of how he's got to conceptualize two flashes uh, what, what happens later when he goes to the multiverse he finds a, a an 18 year old version of himself and i think the flash is in his 20s in this i don't know um he has to play off himself he has to make them completely different to each other but in a way the same and he gives he gives his character such little touches like that really kind of oh yeah the stoner laugh yeah yeah, stoner laugh (laughs) and he even when he does the run 
I don't know if he does that in the Justice League movies or anything like that, but he, he almost has a, a slap dick, bef- slap, slap dick. I mean, <laughs> that's not that type of controversy. Well, but well, he, well, that's right, you know. <laughs> yeah. But he almost has a slapstick, slapstick performance as well, mm. where he does comedy like trying to go through walls, trying to do this run when his powers go. He, he's brilliant. And I, 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 we've had this conversation off camera many times about the artist versus the art. Um, but once the movie got going, I kind of, I kind of forgot about it. And, and he actually, as an actor, he's really good and makes this movie. It, yeah, I would say it was a similar experience for me as well. I was, I went in ready to hate him. Yeah. Like I was, I was all for hating him. But then when we started watching it, that kind of all melted away because it doesn't change the fact that he did it well. He, he, in fact, he did it so well that he unbiased me. Which is quite a feat yeah. because when when I come across, you know, people like that, it kind of like really hard to like people in real life. Yeah, yeah. I tend to put up a, a, a filter through everything that I watch and it's like with the flash, he just he just embodied the awkward kid in two different yeah, ways, yeah. in two different ages really really well yeah and also you know that the whole the whole um the the what do you call it the stance that he takes when he's gonna run yeah that's actually how the flash is drawn when he's running. oh is that right yeah. yeah so i thought that was really cool as well and yeah i have to say that the political drama behind it didn't affect how i saw the movie yeah um, I'm glad you said the stance because I realised I've been doing actions to the camera and this is an audio show. So if anyone's listening, I'm glad you filled in that when I was talking about the run he does, that it's a it's a stance. But I had a few snarky moments in it that popped into my head, but it was more jokes. Like when the teenagers come over to him, I'm kind of like, keep Ezra away from the teenagers. Or <laughs> when he's talking about, oh, no one will be drugged. And I was like, yeah, Ezra, you don't oh care about God. drugs. No. But, that, but that was just things that popped into my head. But... Yeah. The story itself, it starts off with um, something's going on in Gotham City and nobody else is available. I guess the Justice League are doing different things. And then uh, Alfred, played by Jeremy Irons, he calls up Flash and he's like, oh, why didn't you call Batman? Batman's doing something else. Why didn't you call Wonder Woman? Can't get hold of her. And then he shows up and he, he has to sort out this this kind of, I don't know what it is. If you hear crunching, it's because our cats are um, crunching next to the... The microphone. But he has to sort out this thing. And it and it almost reminded me of a, an intro to a comic where you said when we've talked about this before. It's just like the Justice League, they now work together. This is just another day in the city. Wonder Woman shows up and there's a great scene with the, the lasso of truth where Batman starts saying stuff. And then the <laughs> yeah, Flash has started to say he's never had sex. And then, correct me, I, I, I can't fully remember, but... Do we get a... Oh, right, that's right. There's a there's a flashback in terms of what happened to his family and his dad is out for trial and then he, he starts running and then he realises he can he can perhaps change things and... and yeah, he, he gets really emotional um, during a, a flashback. You know, he's he's gone back to his old home where he grew up and he's, he's reliving his childhood trauma, I guess. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he does get... A, very emotional he starts running faster than he's ever fun he's ever run before yeah. and that's when we find out about speed force which they haven't actually 
coins that term in in uh, the movie. Mm. I didn't hear anyone say it. No, I didn't. But either. in the comics, it's speed force because it's like the the idea that you go if you can go fast and speed of light, you can kind of bend mm. space, yeah, yeah, time, yeah. Um, and it, it's not linear. It's cyclical and it's it's a network and you mm. know very complicated, but. At that point, that's when he realizes that he can do that, and it's the first time that he realizes he can do that. Yeah. So he's obviously he's youngish, you know. He's just experienced that for the first time, and he's also experienced his childhood trauma freshly in that moment. Mm. So he's not bound to make any good decisions at that point. Yeah. And I think that's how the rest of the movie offshoots from that point. Yeah, and the movie does have a. An emotional core in terms of what we're used to in other superhero movies where a big bad shows up and the characters interplay off each other and it's revolved around the world ending or something like that now this movie does revolve around the world ending to an extent with when he goes to the alternative universe and it does but it it much more plays out like a, a cartoon in terms of even how Ezra's, he's like someone off Nickelodeon and when he's the Flash and mm. and everyone's just bantering off each other, even when he's bantering off himself. It's it's very like Saturday morning cartoon and it's just fun and it, it, it never feels like it's it's smug in itself. Oh, we know this is stupid. We know it, it it's it's really in love with its with its source material almost, which is comic books and uh cartoons and things like that. Um, so he eventually goes to the the other world and he sees his mom and, and then he realizes he's he's kind of messed up the some kind of time thing. Although when 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 time travel is introduced in these movies, it's never quite clear. And they normally explain the rules and then they're like, "Yeah, we've explained it, but it it doesn't fully play out in that way." So it eventually, well, it's, it's paradoxical. So that's yeah. Well, it's kind of how you can have your cake and eat it. But it reminded me of the tone of, of Back to the Future and things like that. I know you haven't finished that movie yet, but we'll, we'll have to finish it at I'm some really point. I'm sorry, we will. I'm sorry. It, it's just good fun over all this movie, but it's built around an emotional core. And But I will say one thing. The effects in this movie are really dodgy. Oh my gosh, that was my biggest... That was my biggest criticism of the movie because yeah. I really did enjoy it. The CGI was really, really bad. Like the detail, I, I wouldn't even say it was very detailed. When when we first saw the um the uncut version, yeah, yeah. I thought that you know they hadn't finished rendering the CGI. I think you you suggested that as a maybe an option so, why yeah. why it was so bad. Um, because I I'm not I don't really know much about you know cinematography in general, but. All I know is that it just didn't... They didn't look like real people. Yeah. It looked like they had... They had kind of half submerged into a, an alternate reality and where everyone was 3D animation. Yeah, it's almost like they needed to be rendered because we we saw the, the first cut of this movie and, and they said, okay, it's not finished yet. You need to... You can't review it because it's not finished. And then the CGI was so bad that we thought that... Like, there's a scene where with these babies that he has to rescue that's really cool yeah. but it's so distracting because I don't know if you ever saw that movie Polar Express by Robert Zemanex it's it's he it's a Christmas movie that's often around and it was like CGI from 20 years ago and it looks like it's not quite human and it's not quite like Pixar you're trying to make them real but they just look like deformed yeah and the babies yeah. were so distracting that it took away from the scene 
because it didn't seem real. If it felt like okay, he's meant to be rescuing babies, but what are they? <laughs> what yeah, are they? Exactly. And the, you know what? There was some CGI that I've seen from other movies, and I wish that I could remember them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know that also... I've I've seen older movies with better CGI. Yeah, definitely. And with lower budgets as well, because I'm pretty sure that the budgets for those older movies was far less than what they had available. Mm. And I felt like they used CGI in parts of the movie that didn't even need CGI. Yeah. Um, and do you know what's really... My memory is really, really bad. No, you're doing I, well. I would love to remember the exact moments that I was like, well, they, they could have bypassed that. They didn't really... Ah, uh, you know when they're, they're in the, the speed bubble? Yeah, that, um, that's a good one, yeah. The, the, the flashbacks of things that have happened, they had changed it from... Uh, so some of the memories were it was like a copy and paste situation around in a circle yeah. right? but some of them actually happened in the movie and in the movie it didn't have CGI <laughs> yeah, for that true. bit but they used CGI for the for the, for the memory mm. and that seems silly to me because they could have just taken the, the, the footage, actual, footage, the actual yeah. footage from the movie where pe- real people were like his mum you know they could have rendered her face a lot better because her face was used a lot in the Not movie bad, yeah and I feel like they, it's almost like they weren't trying. And that's why it, it irritated me because it felt like they could have done better and chose not to. Yeah, they do something with the, I think it's, I'm not sure if it's the intro to Marvel, but where they show all these little squares of Marvel movies and they spin it around. They could have done that. Yeah. Now, I, I was looking this up and the director actually said, and I don't buy this for one minute because whoever does the, the special effects should be fired, in my opinion, because yeah. it's just really bad. It's like when they did Skywalker the first time in yeah. The Mandalorian and they someone did it better online and then it, and they got him to do it the next time. But the director said, he's like, oh, no, no, no. The CGI is meant to be like that. It's meant to be how the Flash sees things. And I'm, I'm thinking, I get that in terms of it slowed down, but... Why would the Flash see jellyhead people who don't look pixelated? Like, is it because he's so quick they haven't rendered fully? Or is it just crappy effects? I, I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it for the... Re- okay, if you look at it logically, if, he's, if time has slowed down for him, he would see everything in greater detail. True. Technically. Yeah. If, if we're going to go by that but I mean if if they've created a Flash that sees things in that way fair enough because you know he's written a character or well the writers have written a character and he's brought the character to life so if if they have said you know the Flash this is how the Flash sees things fair enough but I feel like that that was never that was never said in the movie yeah it's not established yeah it's not established so it just looks really cheap yeah and you know it kind of ruins the quality of the movie yeah it does but I, I I enjoyed this movie a lot, so I kind of just ignored it, and I'm like, oh god, I wish they did that, but I wish they didn't yeah. do that, should I say? But getting on to spoilers now in a, in a bigger way, I think we can start introducing them. So when they go to the parallel universe or whatever it is, it, it turns out that I guess it's it's like eight years before whatever it is, and it's around the time where General Zod invaded in Batman uh, in Superman Man of Steel. Yeah. It, it, it's it's around that time, except in this version, there's no. Superman and Ben Affleck isn't Batman in, the, in this universe. Now, it did occur to me afterwards and when I had you on this show that I wanted to ask you because, my, first of all, Kevin Conroy is my Batman and that's the 90s mm. voice of Batman. But a lot of that, a lot of that Batman 
is based around the movies in terms of the team music and things like that. But Michael Keaton was my first Batman, other than Adam West in the nineteen sixties Batman that I used to watch as a uh, as a as a young kid. But my first Batman was Michael Keaton, really on the big screen. Mm-hmm. It's probably the first movie I've ever seen was uh, Batman with uh, the Jack Nicholson one, I, I I believe. But I'm so I was so young, I would have been four. I, I don't have much memory of it other than like been in and out of sleep in the cinema. But <laughs> I, I enjoyed it. So Michael Keaton when he showed up. In the old bat suit, with the old bat toys, and with the music, I was popping. And, the, and I don't do this much in the cinema, but you even heard it when I was like, yeah! Like, yeah, I don't do yeah, that. Yeah. And I, he, he could do anything. It could have just been him taking a shit in, in the bat suit, and I would have been like, thank God. Like, But it occurred to me, I, I, I might be wrong, but... You've got no affinity with this Batman, as far as I know. You, I don't know how familiar you are with the. So, Not really. So what did you make of this Batman? Because for us, it's like, oh, that's Batman. He done this. And even have the Joker little bag. And he goes, oh, this bag laughs. And we're like, that's from Batman 1. Yeah, yeah, I do remember that, yeah. Um, but you kind of came to him fresh. I don't know. I presume you knew who he was and everything yeah, like that. But yeah, take I us did. through what you thought of the Batman in this movie. So, because they, I mean, they set up the premise of, um, it's a different time, it's a different Batman, and, yeah, and, true. and with, with, I have grown to expect anything when it comes to yeah. time, time travel and multiverse theory, so when I first saw him, the, you know, the old man with the slippers and the long grey yeah. hair, I, I as soon as he started fighting and he was using everything around him in a very clever way. Yeah. And, you know, it, it was very, very hermit old Batman-esque. Yeah. It wasn't like, it didn't seem, um, it was believable, basically. Yeah. And the way that he he interacted with people, it makes sense for the antisocial behavior of Batman also. Yeah. And, you know, he came across as, there was one line that was so cheesy that made me cringe. And I'm sure you know what it is, but I'm going to say it. You want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. I I would like to ask you, does that come from something? Oh, but I don't know. But I thought that line was out of place as well. But then I thought, was that a line in the 90s? Where like, would that Batman, is that a line that Batman said in the 90s when he was beating up people and now he's back? But the line is so out of date that it's like, what, the, what is that? It might as well, it beaves. I... <laughs> literally i i can't tell if that it in my head i was like that has to have been said somewhere because i can't imagine batman saying that that was the one thing that kind of irritated me and i did notice that what i really really liked about this batman was the smile that would creep across his face when he felt like he was reconnected to yeah yeah like i i really loved that and i the little smirks that he had when he was about to like drop them out of the plane yeah. or like do do something reckless and, and wild it's because that that's the that's the kind of like aura that they give him when you first meet him he seems wild he yeah. seems like 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 a feral man who's lived out of touch of mm. like humanity yeah but then you realize he's actually fairly normal and he was just disconnected from his his younger more reckless self well, apparently the, all the crime had stopped in Gotham City and that's where he was like, fuck it, I'm not yeah. going to go to another city. <laughs> He's like, I'm done, Gotham was my thing. Yeah. But you're right. And it does bring into a question what we know about Batman 
you know, he's traumatised by his parents and that, that connects into his interplay with The Flash in terms of I never could bring my parents back um, but you're trying, so good for you. And he, he wants to bring justice to uh, Gotham City and everything like that. So you're right in terms of what does this mean for Batman and indeed Bruce Wayne? And Michael Keaton, the actor who plays him, has said the most interesting thing about him is Bruce Wayne, not Batman. Like, yeah. what would what would motivate a guy to put on a bat suit? And he plays him like that in the way that you've just said. In terms of why is he getting smirks? Why is he getting enjoyment from this? Is is it's something different? He's he's liking getting bust up because there's a scene where he's there's a there's a great action sequence and he's pulling out uh, like shrapnel and he's taking out his blood and you're like oh he, he's bust up and he he, well, he was looking. And he's like, oh, I'm back. Like, yeah. I, I miss this feeling. And so what does that mean about, like, is he telling himself he's doing it purely for justice in all these movies? But does he just, he likes kicking ass. And that, that was a great approach to this Batman as well that we got to see. I mean, I feel like this was this was almost touched on with Christian Bell's Batman as well. Because, they, you know, they really, ex- they really explore how Bruce Wayne is putting up a front. Mm. And he's hiding behind things. And then when you see him like going off to to the you know the mountains to train with the monks and things like that in, in yeah, the Batman, yeah. the, uh, the other Batman before the Dark Knight, which one is that? Batman Begins? No. Uh, before the, uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, that one. Ra's so, al Ghul. I, yeah, Ra's al Ghul. Right. So they they kind of touched on that in that movie, and I feel like mm. this one is it has gone a bit further in. It's like it reminds me of the What If. Um, yeah. Uh, thing that Marvel did, where what if you know he was born in a different time, mm. and his parents still died? What if you know he didn't need to fight crime anymore? Yeah, yeah. What would happen to Bruce Wayne? Because it seems like it's not. It's there's something within him. He needs it. I don't think it's just that his parents died. No. But I think him getting beaten beaten up is like him you know getting his dues for not being able to save his parents as well yeah so it's i feel like it's something that he needs to exist yeah i wonder what did happen to him in the intermittent years because he's he's hanging out in the kitchen with long beards like what 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 did he do for the last 20 years he didn't go off to italy like at the end of the dark knight rises that's for sure alfred alfred is kind of in every Batman I've ever seen, Alfred is is back is is Bruce Wayne's backbone. Well, they say that as well. Every you had an Alfred as well in this movie, but I guess he died. Oh, the, the inevitable in, cat, in, in, interception. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like because that that's one of the things that he explained in the in the multiverse yeah. theory that they came up with for this universe, and I feel like that that was also a nostalgia thing because it's like oh yeah, Alfred is always supposed to be there, and he did have an Alfred, but because yeah. he was older. Alfred was dead. We don't know when Alfred died, so we can't say that Alfred, you know, the reason why he was so different was because he didn't have Alfred, because we don't actually know when he lost Alfred. I mean, yeah, I think Michael Gamden played him in the the 90s ones. I might be completely wrong, but he's the actor's definitely dead anyway, so they couldn't bring a, an Alfred out on a wheelchair. But speaking of a, a what-if scenario, we, we, we don't get Superman in this world either. In fact, we don't get him in either movie, um, or sorry, in either universe and we get Supergirl instead. And I have to say, I find Superman really boring anyway. Even when they made Henry Cavill, Hobo, Travel the World and Hitchhike, Superman, that, that's what he does in one scene of yeah. The Man of Steel. 
um, I'm just always bored by him. So I always welcome something different. Like give me Bat- uh, give me Superman's son, give me something. And then this, it turns out, uh, General Zod, played by Michael Shannon, succeeded. He killed Kal-El before he even came to Earth. And we get Supergirl instead. And she's not fully um, charged, shall we say. She wasn't raised, uh, raised by good old Martha and Jonathan Kent. Yeah. In, in good old Kansas. So she's she's... She was raised by everybody's favourite bad guys that's acceptable these days. She was raised in Russia. Uh, I think that's alluded to. That's where they are. So, And she was put in captivity. So she's got a lot of trauma and a lot of... She's had a bad time like everyone else. She actually wasn't raised. She came as an adult. That's the difference. Was that what it was? Yeah, she came as an adult. She was the protector for, for Clark, who we never met, Kal-El. Mm. So he never arrived at Earth, but she was sent as his protector his protector they got separated didn't they yeah they got separated he didn't he he went off course and she continued to earth Mm. um and then obviously zod found him and you know killed infant yeah kal-el but she was you know there as his guardian Mm. and obviously they don't age the same way yeah yeah that humans age so she she was pretty much that age when she arrived there they wouldn't send a baby to protect a baby, so... If they don't age the same way humans... So I guess they must age For to a, a childhood point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I thought she was good. It, it, I'm, I'm happy to see a different variation of Superman. And, and I guess she exists in the comics. I know Supergirl, and I guess she's playing off that. But she was pissed off. She wasn't trustworthy of Earth. She wasn't supercharged. And she went to sort out Zod. Mm. And then she comes back and they realise they need... A bit of help. Um, so at this point, we kind of feel like we know where the movie is going. Okay, the Flash is back now. He's got his powers back. Uh, Batman is going nuts. And there's actually a great scene where where the two Flashes are in the the, the jet uh, in the in the flying thing. And then oh, the bat jet. everyone else is used to it, but the other Flash, the young Flash, wouldn't be. And the, and they press the turbo boosters, and he's like. Ah! Oh my god, that was brilliant! Hilarious. Constantly stuff like that, but but we think we know where the movie's going, and then it takes a turn, and Batman keeps dying, Supergirl keeps on dying, and 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 I, that, I didn't think that was going to happen actually. And then it, it, on second watch, I realized that the mother had said that line early. I didn't catch it the first time. Where sometimes you can't change stuff; you just got to live with it. She, she says something along those lines, mm-hmm. and it it just gets to a great point where. Anything they try doesn't work. And then the Flash is right back where he started in terms of running through time to to try and change things. And it turns out that the, the younger Flash is this Flash that's been doing it so long. He's thousands of years in the future and he's constantly trying to change the future. And then we get back to this emotional core of the movie, which I swear to God, it must be one of the few superhero movies that I nearly teared up at this point because he's... He's got to accept that no matter what he does, his mother will die. And he's yeah. got to he's got to rearrange things back and actually aid her in dying now that he knows how she dies. That he needs to create the conditions yeah. for her to die. And we get this cool Batman, we get this cool Supergirl, and it's just like that world is doomed. You gotta forget about this. You gotta forget about your mother. You got you gotta forget about everything. And it it, it it brings it back to sure sure we're having a great time but it brings it back to this emotional core in the beginning of someone not being able to accept the loss of someone 
Yeah. And that, do you know what? It's such a relatable feeling. And also, I thought to myself, if anything was an homage to uh, stoicism, that would be a great metaphor. Yeah. Because it was like, he he almost corroded himself by not letting go of trauma. Yeah. And, you know, they, they made a visual representation of that. And I thought it was really, really yeah. done, like the, the way that they plotted out that story. And the fact that in the end, his acceptance is what yeah. led him to resolving the issue. And that's something that I would say everyone can, can relate to in some ways. Yeah. You know, everyone has lost someone or something or even a part of themselves. Like it, it happens to most people. And the one thing that we never want to do is is accept it and move forward and let go. And it was, I'm not going to lie, I was in tears yeah. when he you know finally near the end he he saw himself being destroyed and you know bruce had already told him there are inevitable intersections he cannot save her like there's nothing that he can do and uh you know his own it was his own mother's words that aided him in that acceptance and then he had to see her one last time before he decided that you know that was it she's she's gonna be dead and when he hugged her oh my gosh i lost it yeah and the, the the other thing i know general zod was the bad guy but he never feels like the bad guy he, he kind of just feel okay he's here to just have we can have a load of fun with this yeah that, and that's cool and michael shannon didn't want to be there anyway i'm pretty <laughs> sure um but i don't think i've ever seen a movie where it's he himself is the bad guy yeah. like and he's not in it very much but it but the teams are there all along that he can't accept but at the end we have three representations of someone's self mm. and sometimes in superhero movies where they do alternative realities we get this other version of someone they're like yeah i'm really badass and it's like oh this is him from another world stay clear but in this it, it's just actually sad in a way because and the other thing is we've grown to I've grown to I don't know how you felt but I really like the younger Flash as well and then he, he was has, hilarious yeah and for someone that might be guilty of many things uh, Ezra plays both of those Flashes so innocently yeah like oh why can't I like and, and very pure it's weird for someone like that has so many demons and God knows what controversies he plays him really pure and innocent and almost yeah. childlike when he's like oh I lost my mother and it's like oh and you you messed up the teddy and those lines are ridiculous when you put them in isolation but he just kills it with his line reading and yeah. every time and then the the younger Flash had to sacrifice himself so the older Flash could disappear and not become like a monster trying to fix stuff which is an admirable thing in itself but yeah and and then leave Barry the, the Barry Allen from the start with dealing with acceptance it, it, it's crazy yeah. like for a superhero I mean, movie it was brilliant it really was i really enjoyed that Il pose la main sur son flingue Redresse son cadure et vas-y pour un petit coup d'air Et fifi Je voudrais m'en mêler Mais du doigt so that clip you just heard was from 1955's Rafifi Directed by Jules Dassin um, How's your French, Michael? Because I'm going to butcher some names in, the, in this episode of the podcast 
Um, my French isn't great, and I've done absolutely no prep in terms of pronunciation of these names, so um, it's all on you, buddy. Okay, absolutely brilliant. Mine is somewhere between Del Boy and first-class French, so we apologize to the people of France. Um, but besides your your lack of French, how's your love of heist movies, Michael? Because I have to say that heist movies are probably, it's in my wheelhouse, no pun intended, there's... It's my favorite genre in many ways. Movies even that take place after the heist, like Reservoir Dogs, sci-fi heists, like Inception, The Italian Job. There's just something about getting away with something that's meticulously planned that's eternally satisfying. I actually pulled off a mini heist, which I won't get into for incriminating reasons, um, in an not-so-distant past. And so I, I kind of got a taste for it as well, Michael. How do you feel about the genre? I, I presume we're um, simpatico when it comes to heist movies. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it, you say it's your favourite genre. I was thinking about this earlier. It may actually be my favourite subgenre as well. Mm. Um Obviously, there's a, there's a lot of great genres, lots that I love, like slasher movie, lots in horror, uh, like home invasion movies and stuff. Um, but the, I think one of the best things about heist movies is they they're very reliable in the sense that it, let's say you've got a genre like westerns. I mean, we 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 both like westerns. You love westerns, yeah. But when you sit down to watch a western, there's like many types of film that you could be watching tonally you know you could be watching mm. unforgiven or you could be watching slow west you know it, by by calling something a western you're not really describing the experience that the person's going to get um, they are going to get a whole bunch of tropes that are really comforting to see repeated over and over again but heist movies seem to have like it's one of that one of those genres that uh really tells you the type of experience that you're going to get and it might be a bit different in the way that they approach it but ultimately uh you're going to get the same sort of style of storytelling um it, from high film to high film you know to to more or less success given the film um and so whenever i watch a film like rafifi which i go in knowing is a heist film or a film like inception you just mentioned there where you discover within the film maybe that it's a heist film. I'm always like, yes, that I I know I'm in for a good time. I absolutely adore heist yeah. films, and um, yeah, I I uh, I have often dreamt of doing a, like a, a museum <laughs> heist or something like that, yeah. some big grandiose heist. Obviously, the the risks involved pr would prevent me from doing so, but just the fantasy of planning it all out, outsmarting every part of the operation um, mm. and getting to kind of vicariously experience that through film is one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, there's still time, Michael. There's still time. I'm sure we can pull off something together. And um, funnily enough, I heard a, a great pitch for an Indiana Jones movie where the, the whole movie is him putting back artifacts into museums that he stole from around the world. Yeah, <laughs> it'd be quite great a good, idea. It'd be, qu it'd be quite a good uh, heist movie. But anyway, um as much as i do love heist movies there's one thing i there's one what i'm gonna call it i don't know something that is off-putting from heist movies that that thankfully wasn't uh seen in rafifi but 
I think we both didn't mention Ocean's Eleven, maybe because we we maybe because you forgot about it. But I intentionally didn't mention that as one of my favorite heist, mo- heist movies because I remember years ago when we watched uh, Narcos Mexico, uh, you said there's one character that I'm that I'm really gonna like. And then it turns out I, I did really like this character and it was this security guy who was just really good at his job. He was under pressure. He, he was suspected to be a rat and it was just him outsmarting uh, the, whatever they're called, the mob, the 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 narcos, the whatever they're called, the, the Colombian gangs, the or the Mexican gangs and the cartel. That's right. Yeah. And it is true that I love somebody pulling off something well and being really good at their job. But with one caveat, that they're actually under pressure and that they are, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't come easy. And I feel like even though Ocean's Eleven, to be fair, is a likable example of that movie because I still enjoyed it. There's certain things that revolve around smugness and it's just, we are so cool that we're doing this mm-hmm. that kind of puts me off the genre at times because I need a threat of this going wrong and I need a a threat of stakes and I like people being very good at their job but I also need them to be so good at their job for a reason that this is really hard to pull off Mm -hmm. and Rafifi I think it's going to be hard to not get into spoilers early considering that at what point the heist begins in this movie but getting to the point before the heist obviously we'll just set up the movie a bit there's there's four kind of jeweler robbers or or heisters if that is a word and you can see the kind of tropes that we see in movies now right we need a safe expert this guy's just gone out of prison this guy is this guy's nephew and they're kind of connected I don't know if this is the genesis of these type of tropes or, or, or by 1955, they were already well established, but we, we certainly see more bombastic versions of these characters in, in future heist movies. But one thing I, I really appreciated about this movie was the, the prep and the, and the hard work that went into the pre-heist even. Uh, how did you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, the the prep is a, a massive part of these movies. Um, and it's funny, I, I thought about Ocean's Eleven a lot. Um, you obviously think of other heist movies. I don't know, like you, I don't know where this uh, falls in terms of the evolution of these tropes. Mm. I don't know if it's established many of them or if it, I mean, because it is the most definitive heist movie of all time. It's kind of the gold standard. It's what you when people are talking about heist movies it's kind of their go-to as like this is the one right this mm. is like the, the 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 one that's kind of started it all in terms of the modern understanding of what a heist movie format is um but you know that could just be because it sort of won that game of critical analysis and and actually it you know there was plenty of other things before it that were doing all of these things but um in any case Ocean's Eleven to me is probably my favorite heist movie. Okay. It's it's the one that I think just perfectly executes um 
many of these tropes but i agree it has that smugness they're they're essentially doing it for ego reasons um, and for money which is kind of cool in a way um, and it, uh, there is certainly the motivation of some of the characters in this in rafifi uh, are doing it just plain good old-fashioned this is yeah. money i don't i'm not trying to get out of a pinch or whatever um and then the, the main character if he if you call him the main character he's sort of doing it as an almost like existential crisis kind of thing yeah. again sort of an ego driven thing um but uh yeah a lot of the best heist movies it's like there's massive stakes on the line we you know we gotta get someone out of prison or clear someone's name pay back a debt or whatever it might be um and oceans 11 it doesn't have that but i think watching rafifi now um there are so many elements of it that would go on to become more sophisticated um in later movies so like you talk about the prep for example um i i i wonder what it would have been like to watch this movie in 1955 because now we're so used to seeing scenes of people doing prep work for um for heists and what they'll often do in heist movies is some of the stuff they'll show you them preparing for but some of the stuff is a surprise like they they don't tell you that so when it comes to the, the heist they do mm. like um i suppose we can kind of spoil the movie um one of the things that they do in the heist is they yeah. have to take have to. rubble out of the floor um but they don't want it to fall into the floor below so they're drilling down to a, a room below them so in order to stop the rubble that they're creating when they drill down into the below room they put an umbrella through and open it up so it catches the rubble and that's like a really clever lo-fi idea works really well but they don't show you yeah. the prep for that so that when you see it in the heist you get that surprise oh they thought of that not only did they think of the things that I saw them mm. thinking about, but they also had yeah. other things, and th and that then has gone on to become made made heist movies like Ocean's Eleven, almost like a Christopher Nolan puzzle box type thing, where the movie is operating on two levels: what you understand, mm. uh, and uh, and what you where you think they haven't thought of something, but they actually have thought of it, and it's all these like twists and layers and stuff like that. And this one, being that it's older it lacks some of that dimension in in some way to its favor because some movies get a bit carried away with trying to outsmart you but in some ways um yeah yeah it's 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 like hard to appreciate how like incredible this movie would have been if you to watch it had you not seen all the films that it inspired afterwards um so yeah, that that uh, I, I, the the prep scenes stuff is really cool, but it's it, it, there is always this element. I don't know if you feel this way, but what I I recently watched Rocky as well, and you know it's a similar thing of like you're watching tropes that are that would go on <clears throat> to become more polished and more multi-dimensional, and it's hard to appreciate the, them in their kind of initial state. Yeah, it's kind of like you can't judge a, a 1940s car by 2023 standards in a way with these movies. But, you know, I kind of disagree with you, actually, in terms of at least my experience. Mm. And I, I, 
I'm, I'm going to butcher the history of this because someone else can look this up better. But the director, he was blacklisted in America um, during the McCarthy, McCarthyism era. He probably got accused of being a communist sympathizer. And he, he had to rebuild his reputation abroad. And, and this movie was was made for quite a, a, a low budget. It's, it's pretty much a low budget movie by any standards. And I feel like the lack of surprises or the lack of sophistication worked in his favor because what I was what I was drawn to was the grind of the heist. Like it, it it's not flashy. It's it's very mundane in a way, in, in terms of okay, well these guys they're gonna rob a jewelry store because and there's no what we've seen in modern heist movies as well is they kind of work in a, a vendetta sometimes where we need to rob this guy because he did something to us and it'll be all the more sweeter because we're taking it from this guy in, in this it, it's very it's very plain in its its, its conception mm-hmm. and if i was if we were describing it to our audience what happened it sounds very mundane in its execution but I didn't have that experience at all. I, I really loved the the very simple approach to how we get to prep, how we get how we get this kind of walk along these roads and and yes. remember these buildings. And the camera work is, is, is so good and the cinematography is so good that you you just you're almost along for the ride and in, in and embedded in, yeah. in in every scene. And I, I have plans not to just to be a, a film critic all my life, Michael, but I, I, I've done a little bit of just research on, because on, I'm trying to direct something myself, a short movie. But what, one thing I found out that I never actually realized before was, they, which will tell you how bad a filmmaker will probably be, but reaction shots are used to let the audience in on what you should be thinking in every scene. And this movie, it's 1955. I, I don't know technically how far removed it is from the silent error, but a lot of this movie is, is, is built around interpreting different people's expressions and it, people's reactions to what's going on. And so much so that when, when they're doing the prep for the hype and when, when they're doing their due diligence and, and their DIY, it's, it, it's exciting because you're you're seeing everyone's reaction to what's going on and if they can pull it off. So if, if there is a scene where they're spinning about 10 minutes, they get this, they get this alarm at one stage and they practice on it. And on, on the one hand, all they're doing is just checking if they can do it, but it's repeated so many times that it, it just raises the stakes each time. Mm-hmm. And, and when they're they're chiseling the gravel just to check how much in relation to the sound they can use yeah and because it spends so much time with that and the almost i don't know the this the esoteric nature of what they need to do to pull off this tangible i found it riveting i agree i look make no mistake this is a brilliant movie uh um i i i think there are certain things missing from this movie that i've come to expect from from Mm. a heist movie um, which is interesting to see now it's it's 70 years old so that is to be expected but it's fantastic it, the cinematography is absolutely incredible um the visual storytelling in general is just so 
mm. expertly done and as you said so engrossing like the it, the there heist movies would go on to be where every single place you rob has to have a borderline science fiction uh, security system <laughs> yeah, yeah, of yeah. like lasers and temperature gauges and all this like high level stuff that is cool but it's not super relatable for your average person whereas someone like hammering a you know a, a chisel this way and it does and it's not right but then this way mm. is right that is um very relatable and and it and it's it really puts you on the ground and it and mm. it 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 may, means that very simplistic relatable stuff of like putting on a different pair of shoes or like you know mm. like wearing sneakers and ballet shoes and stuff like that like that's just i don't know it, it connects you to the heist a lot more than um hacking or something like that but uh i think like where like i i feel like some of the things that like you said the lack of a vendetta against the business that I like that stuff. Like th this movie has a a guy that they have a, a sort of vendetta against, who's yeah. like a mob boss, and the mob boss is now with the main guy's girl from the past mm. and stuff. It's like a movie nowadays would a hundred percent make it so that he owns the jewelry shop, right? That would yeah, yeah, consolidate yeah. those two entities together. Mm. It's like a no brainer at this point, and you could say that that's a that's formulaic and that's like obvious and this film you know subverts that trope even though it's not deliberately subverting it it's just prior to that that being a thing it, it, i do think that why not add that extra emotional ammunition to the to the heist especially when you've got this whole subplot of that that other guy which in some ways until the third act of the movie feels a bit like tacked on it's like where why is this even in the movie kind of thing but um <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the, the 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 way that the heist is relatable and the slow um, prep and all that is is brilliant. And like you said, the the you know the reaction shot, shots, the uh, you know there's the famous sequence in this movie which like we haven't mentioned yet is the actual heist, and it's kind of the centerpiece yeah. of the film. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever seen Rafifi prior to this watch, um, mm. but it's such a famous iconic movie that I constantly debated in my head whether or not i'd seen it I, i've certainly seen that sequence and okay. i've seen countless movies that are ripping it off so almost everything in the movie is familiar to me in mm. a way and i also used to watch so many old movies growing up um like we have in in ireland we had tg Cahir, the the yeah. irish language um channel that would show old black and white movies every day at midday and i used to kind of devour them up so i've got a it, it, like the scene where he's walking along to get to the escape car and he sees the policeman's bicycle mm. and, and and keeps walking like things like that i'm like i'm sure i've seen that before but maybe mm. i've just maybe it's just something i've seen that type of thing so much that that yeah. now i think i've seen this movie but um yeah it's 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 brilliantly done i i just happen to like some of the uh tropes and things that would come later in in heist movies mm. and that it's like if you made rafifi now there'd be lots of things that well not lots of things but some things that are 
that would definitely be in it. But it is great uh, that a how much is there in 1955? How much? How like mm. already formed it is, and also like you said, they're they're doing a they're robbing a shop, right? They're not robbing the the uh, the biggest like banking reserve in the world with the most sophisticated system. They're not they're not robbing like the richest tech billionaire in the world that requires. Yeah everyone on the team to be the best at their specific skill in the entire world it's it's much more relatable and much more of a kind of like lower key crime film and that is something that is kind of missing from a lot of modern heist movies so it'd be nice to see some some more of that grounded energy back come back into the genre yeah definitely um you mentioned that you don't know if you've seen it uh, before or not, but I guess certainly you've never seen it with uh, the lens that I guess you've watched it now with all the hmm. the knowledge of the heist genres you've accumulated. Um, yeah, you, we'll probably get into a bit of spoilers now in a, in a more bigger way. Um, you mentioned the, the heist sequence. So again, I hadn't seen this movie and was kind of put off watching the movie just by sheer it was on my hard drive too long and it's an old movie. Sometimes it, it can be like moldy underpants or something where you're just like, ah, oh, do I have to watch this? It just feels like, feels like work. But for, from the opening moments, it, it, it hasn't, it didn't feel like work in the slightest. And I just want to talk about the actual heist sequence itself for a moment. That, that That's something I was aware of prior to the movie. I don't know like maybe in in film school they might have mentioned it but i was aware that there was like uh 30 or 40 minutes silent sequence and you you mentioned moments where the guy was aware of the the police checking his car and you know what this reminded me of this reminded me almost like a a david simon level of detail when it comes to the heist. This is how I felt when I was watching the the wire, for instance. Like I knew about CSI type police work, but I didn't know about something as simple as angles to a bullet shootout where you can forensically tell just from being good at your job where the shooter came from. Just just very just very good at your job in, a, in an experienced kind of way. And and moments where he sees the bike. He doesn't miss a beat and he keeps walking. That 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 says a that's a very experienced person. And when they're pulling off the the heist, it it this it reminded me of almost uh, that's not quite the right word, but it's it's the most stationary ballet imaginable. Mm-hmm. They've all got their parts to play. They they've all picked up positions. They need to work as a team. We're getting as much close-ups of their face as anything else and it just it was for me it was 30 or 40 minutes of of breathtaking stuff even when he's holding the safe down and and his his strength is 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 waning everything like that and and it means more because we've seen the prep and we know that once this alarm goes off they've they've gone to shit. Everything's gone to shit, basically. And another thing they've factored in as well, it's 1955. Nowadays, it would be a lot more violent. And the scenes in this movie where 
they're obviously not allowed to show it, even when at the beginning of the heist where they, they, whatever that chloroform, what, what's that thing chloroform, called? Chloroform, yeah, yeah, chloroform, or whatever, what, whatever you know what it's it is, called, when, <laughs> yeah, whatever it's called, where they just come out the door, and because they can't show that very long, it it looks brutal. It, it, it looks like they've just been taken oh, out man. of it. The cutaways, the, the stuff that they're not allowed to show. I mean, there's so many scenes in this of like torture and like brutal murder and you don't get to see any of it. You, you get the the, yeah. the camera pointing the opposite direction and that is that evokes Tarantino levels of gruesomeness yeah. com- compared to what you would see nowadays in, in a movie like this. Um I don't uh, like. I don't know if that's just like. I don't know if that's deliberate. Like, if it's like uh, an artistic choice to like don't show it because people's minds are going to be much more powerful in what they conjure up, or if it's like, well, we literally can't show it. Like, we yeah. all, camera always points away for things like that. But it, it, it's really effective. And yeah, that that um that heist scene is amazing. I mean, you know, people always talk about like great moments in cinema or great scenes mm. or whatever and some of them are great because they're um you can interpret it in lots of different ways and it's got lots of thematic weight and it's all that this is just straightforward plot but to go that long and it's not they 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 don't do it in a flashy way you know sometimes you see um a, a bit of a flare in a movie nowadays like we're going to have a 10 minute unbroken shot mm, or we're yeah, going to yeah. have a a a, a a a big action scene and a, at the very beginning of that like the music kicks in or something that kind of isolates it from the film so it feels like it's like announcing itself this doesn't doesn't mm. do that you 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 don't realize until a few minutes into it that you've sort of you've slipped into this new sort of cinematic terrain and it's absolutely incredible um like you both of us were aware of this um that, that that this sequence was in the film and that they uh you know there was no talking and stuff like that and it, it the fact that it's not just no talking but it's almost no sound as well but mm. if there is sound that's even more crucial it's not silent it's it's yeah. quiet quiet sound design um just watching that like is such a pleasure and it's mm. it it really uh raises the quality of the film because the film as you said it's a low budget film it doesn't it can't really do um much in terms of like big action scenes and stuff like that and it's got a lot of talking i know a lot of it is reactions and stuff but it does have a lot of talking on either side of that sequence so just have this like i don't i i don't know how many minutes it is but um that whole sequence and i also love that um it doesn't go terribly wrong so in a, if they were doing this nowadays, and you'll see heists in anything from like uh, Ocean's Eleven, which is made by like a great filmmaker, but to yeah. things like um, the Fast and the Furious franchise or Marvel or whatever it might be, you're good. Every le- every sort of level of sophistication in cinema has heist stuff in it, and it's become more usual to see like many things going wrong, and mm. we have to we have to sort of um, adapt to that and and it, and you get to a point of unrealisticness uh, yeah. whereas this 
the pressure's on with the clock. They keep going back to the clock and you know that the play, the business is going to be opened at 5 a.m. or whatever, or 6 a.m. I think it is. Mm. But but um, so they do, they create a lot of tension, but they don't have, they don't have the whole thing be like escalating to the point of like, you've taken me out of the believability of the scenario. Yeah, it's... Um... The other thing about the the high sequence is you mentioned about there's barely any sound. That that's extra important considering that we're waiting for the alarm to go off. Hmm. It, it so that was vital. Apparently there was a uh, the composer, which it is a very good score as well. The composer wanted music for that scene, and when he was shown the scene, he was like, "Okay, it's better without it." But but to get back to your point about um nothing really goes wrong to the extent we're used to. That's true. And this is where the meticulous planning and the prep comes into play because when the police just check this car, I, I think I, I couldn't really figure out what they're doing, but I presume it didn't have the right dimensions to be parked in that location. Is the, the, way, they're, the way they're squaring up to the car is they're, they're checking some details like, the measurement and it, I think they had a it, notebook that had a list of license plates that they should be keeping an eye out for that that was my okay. interpretation of it okay but don't I mean I, that was a little ambiguous and I'll also say that there were a few times in this film where I didn't quite understand what was going on like there's an early uh sequence where he that the main character reconnects with his ex um this this girl that as soon as he went into prison five years ago she sort of went yeah, off yeah. with different men and he now has a lot of like anger and resentment towards her and he like brutally abuses her which yeah. uh is classic old cinema <laughs> stuff that with they would the have belt. a protagonist doing but certainly yeah. you're not going to see danny ocean doing that yeah <laughs> um and then i think and this is what my interpretation is that they then are worried that she will tell her current partner who's like a, a, essentially a mob boss and so they go to his club to sort of like face that issue head on that was my interpretation of why they went to that club and then they realized that he's not in the know but i i wasn't sure as i was watching them i was like mm. why are they going to this nightclub mm. um and and that that's that's one of a couple of times where I was like a bit on the back foot in terms of like understanding right. maybe I missed one little line of dialogue. It could have been a subtitling issue or something. I'm not sure. Well, this is where um almost our future knowledge of heist genre literature, shall we say, might have filled us in because there was a few moments where where the dialogue felt underdeveloped is the best way of putting this. It, it didn't. It didn't really matter. But even mm. when he comes out of prison for this guy, he reminded me of Steve. Well, uh, Steve McQueen, Joe, I think is his name. Mm. He comes out of prison, and I think there's a line where it's a. I swear, I don't think it's directly said, but it's alluded to. Oh, I took the rap for you, or like it's never said directly. I'm like, oh, did he? Did he take? Well, I was like, oh, of course he did, because in a heist movie, that's exactly what would happen. Like it was, I was, I was unclear, but, but because we're very familiar with heist literature, yeah, 
I was like, oh, he must have went. And then with the girl, I thought, oh, she must have been involved in that as well, because that was five years ago. And then did she end up with the mob? So I was filling in blanks based on what I know from the genre hmm. rather than what I what I could get from the, the, yeah. the movie itself. It's definitely clear that um, Joe owes him big time. Mm. And he, I, I think... And, and again, the subtitles might be wrong, but the, the my my subtitles said, um, if you had talked five years ago, then I'd be the one getting out of jail now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I don't know if that means that they did the job together and uh, the main guy could have cut a deal, which would have given him more mm. lenient sentence, or if he literally didn't do it at all and he just took the rap because joe was a kid at the time um but but the we don't really need to know exactly yeah, how it went down we understand as you said perhaps from watching later films but in any case we understand that um this guy's just got out of jail and he has done the other guy a solid which creates a sort of like um <clears throat> a, a goodwill kind of um you know like dynamic between them and I think that's, yes, it is a little underdeveloped because it's, it's such an old movie. But um, again, it's also kind of marvellous how much is there of of these mm. things that would become absolute staples <clears throat> of the genre. And the, the opening 20 minutes of the movie is so economic in its storytelling. It's it just like even the that very scene where they meet up, they, he, he, he picks up... Uh, is it Frank? Is that the name of the, the what's the name of the main guy? I forget. Uh, Stephanos, isn't it? Stephanos, is that his surname? That's, or his, that, that's his. That's his moniker, isn't it? Um, right. They, okay. they refer to him as the Stephanos, but uh, is it Tony? Is his name? Tony. Yeah. So they so he yeah. picks up Tony, um, and he's just picking up for. We don't need to get into the reasons as a gambling thing, but he picks up Tony. Yeah. And then he says. I want to bring you somewhere else. They go to a cafe. They start talking mm. about this. We're get, we're given the context of him coming out of jail, whatever. And then he orders th three coffees. And the guy says, three coffees? And he goes, he says, yeah, Mario's meeting us. Um, and, and you're like, okay, so there's another person. Then Mario's yeah. there. They sit down at a table. They immediately start talking about the job. Uh, where are you robbing and they point out the window and the camera pushes in yeah it's right there so bit. we've got like basically in uh, at the bar to the table we've got about like three or four pieces of exposition there a new yeah. character introduced the movie set up their past everything like even you get a sort of hint of like okay mario is a known commodity to yeah. both of them and there's just so much storytelling I mean, I compare that to like contemporary films like Dune, where you get like three hours of about yeah. 10 minutes worth of storytelling <laughs> being told. Watching the economy of storytelling yeah. in, in, in older films, where in the, in the space of four minutes, they'll do what a, a modern film would take 15 minutes to achieve is, yeah, is yeah. incredible. It, it, it's fantastic. Yeah. I, I love the way Marco went from. He he had a stern look in one scene, and then this is one of the day it scenes where he's in a bath. The next scene, and I was like, oh, I guess he's trying to be comic now. Like it, mm. it, it kind of pulled the rug from one of the character. But anyway, that was a minor talk. 
But um, yeah, the, the the storytelling that you mentioned there is 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 brilliant. Um, I I have usually to go to the toilet sometimes during the the movie. So right at the end of the heist, uh, I paused, and I was like, oh, there's there's another like hour or whatever mm-hmm. left in this film. I was like, oh oh, what a great place to put the heist. I can't wait to see what comes next and. You mentioned earlier that the, the mob boss with his junkie, I, I don't know, I was getting boyfriend vibes from him as well. This is another thing that was that was kind of like, oh, I guess they can't go there. But I, I was getting I was getting that vibe. And it's, it's kind of cool that you didn't know. Um, you mentioned that in future versions, he would be the the owner of the jewelry store. And, and that's probably true. And I don't know if it's for the better or not. It, it, but when I saw this character, I thought, "Oh, he he's got a presence. He's got a, he's got a great look. I I wonder how he's going to tie in." And then I kind of forgot about him. And then after the heist, and and he starts getting wind of of what's going on, which is actually a problem I had with the movie. They're so technically good at the heist, and then we see Caesar, who's the expert uh, safe cracker. He's just when he grabs the diamond, the extra diamond. I'm like, ah. Oh, like just don't do it caesar and then he Mm. gives the diamond to the person in the club and i know they're trying to i know they're trying to go with the fact that it's the human element that messes up the heist and they're they're technically brilliant but he 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 falls for this girl and wants to give her a uh the diamond but that's so underdeveloped underdeveloped and so just it's like you're giving her the diamond after doing all this and then to the club is it's like it was just it was infuriating especially after they spent 40 minutes pulling off this great heist and now you're giving her the diamond okay um but i was thinking okay well it's it's fun to see where this will go because that that mob guy is 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 quite a presence and we're going to get into a lot of spoilers now but well we already did really but there's a great scene where Caesar gets beat up and he's he's tied to this rope, and then Tony Lestefanos, who's who's the hero, but you know by modern standards, beating a woman with a a, a belt, he it doesn't make him a good guy. Like mm. that, that's too much for me to get on board with him in terms of like, oh, he's complicated. It's like, well, but I don't think he's the... supposed to be a good guy, is he? He's supposed well, he's not, to be a no. professional, and he's supposed yeah. to be what he is. He's it's, yeah, it, I mean, this is very French, but in in French cinema, a lot of the time, the main character of the film is not someone that the audience yeah. is supposed to like. It's just someone that they're supposed to be interested in seeing the story of, and that that's I would say that's true of this film. Yeah, what what I more meant was that I I kind of felt he was capable of a lot of things by that point. So when he does brutally shoot Caesar, which is for ratting out that it, it was a great scene it, it wasn't entirely unexpected but because we hadn't got any on-screen violence at that stage when the camera's pulling back pulling back I'm, I'm thinking oh i guess we're going to presume he's dead like we get that scene where marco gets his throat slit and the camera doesn't show his head in the frame that that was shocking to me because because we've already imagined it on in our mind so when we get the scene where the camera's pulling out later and Caesar is brutally shot and it actually gets to show it, it, you really know that things are kicking off. And at that point, the movie is is reaching such a heightened wave 
until, and it's never a good thing, Michael, that when kids get kidnapped, I don't know how you feel about the, that plot being introduced a little bit later, but at, at that point, the movie got further and further away from what I want to see in a heist movie and more kind of final act of speed where we, we've already had the bus. We don't need to see something that's abandoned the core premise of the movie. And for the worst, even though there's good scenes in there, I didn't like that final third overall, especially when the kid gets stolen and Joe starts doing Joel's not listening to Tony either, which is understandable, but I, I don't know how you felt about that final final bit of the movie. Yeah, I, I have a lot of the same feelings about the... It's, it's almost the second half of the film more than the third act of the film, but um, the pacing of the film, not pacing, but the structure of the film throughout is um, it catches you off guard. And mm. it's funny because I've, I've sort of come back to this a few times in this conversation that... It, it's not really subversion because there the the structure had yet to be formed, so it's yeah. not. It feels like subversion. If you, if if you watched a heist movie nowadays and they put the heist in the middle of the movie, you'd be like, oh, what what a interesting idea. Mm. Whereas now it's like it's in, it's very interesting and exciting to us, but because we're used to things that would come later, um, I I. Yeah, I guess I, I I started watching the movie, and it, as I said, the beginning of the movie is very expertly put together in terms of like setting the scene, establishing all the characters and motivations and stuff like that. Um, and then you're watching the prep stuff, you're watching the team being assembled, you know, all the usual stuff. But then, boom, they're in the heist. I'm like, oh wow, we're we're in the heist already. Yeah. It was it it caught me off guard. I was like wait, this is actually the heist. This is the night they're doing it. And then yeah. you're watching some of those brilliant cinema of all time for the next half hour or so. And then, like you said, you realize, and I actually didn't check the runtime, um, I, I, but I could kind of sort of tell that the movie had a lot more to, because it starts going into the... Um, the mob boss again and you're like oh that's mm. why that guy's in the movie okay he's the complication later on and you get a whole another hour i suppose or a yeah. long time anyway and <clears throat> i agree that it is frustrating that the the guy takes the the ring and then that's their downfall mainly because i've seen that a hundred times before i i, I hate it's one of my most hated tropes where it's like it all would have been all right if it wasn't yeah, like yeah. This one little bit of human greed or this one little human failing. Like, again, if I had seen this film in 1955, maybe I wouldn't be sick to the back teeth mm. of that trope. But now it just feels to me lazy. Uh, and, and I'm not accusing this film of being lazy. I'm saying right. that that's how I interpret that trope because I've seen it so many times where I'm like, I get it. People are flawed and therefore, <laughs> you know, they're their own worst enemy and blah, 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 blah. Um, so watching, uh, I won't, because there's lots of films that do this. I don't want to mention those films because I don't want to spoil those films. But yeah. it, it, how many times have we seen a movie where it's like they, they peaked, it was like an Icarus type of thing. And then 
they it, in many cases it's that they they um they can't like they they screw each other over a bit out of greed right that's not the case with this movie but it, the the general thing is like they peaked they were all happy they were, everything worked out and then it all starts to crumble and by the end of it they're all dead and you know yeah. everything's gone to hell like watching an hour of that and again this film is brilliantly made even as you said there's great scenes throughout that second half of the movie there's even like the final shootout well it's not the very end of the movie but the the house under construction the guy up at the top floor looking out windows not getting his shot yeah that was brilliant yeah phenomenal and and uh, for uh, to to make like make essentially action that compelling on on what's evidently a very low budget we're not up the top of the eiffel tower here we're just in the countryside Mm. in a house under construction it's it's brilliant um but it is a little boring watching this kind of uh fatalistic like inevitability of uh it's almost like a moral thing when you see that in a movie. It's like the film. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know if it's the the writer or the director or if it's just the producers and the studio that era where it's like we can't let them get away with it. We have to show that if you do crime, that you'll all <laughs> die. Hey, right? Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. And it, it's like um, there's it's almost a binary with these films these heist things i've seen so many heist movies so many heist tv shows even heist video games and it's like um there's one option is it all works out all right and they beat Mm. the system and they get away with it and one is it all goes to complete hell and i think after the the high of the heist itself and the planning and stuff the ending of a heist movie can often be a little underwhelming because both of those routes mm. can be done in a sort of simplistic boring way it's like you, the it's a movie that peaks at its heist and then whatever happens yeah. afterwards is probably best to be about 10 minutes or 5 minutes even of uh of of movie um yeah but uh, but yeah, I'm not a big fan of the um, they all the whole team starts dying one by one story. Uh, it, it, and it, even seeing it done this well, it is and and uh, especially because, like I said, the heist is usually the peak of the of a heist movie. But in this movie, it, espe- it especially is because it's yeah. just the probably it might be the best heist on film i mean it's definitely up there so we don't really need 45 minutes to an hour of standard crime movie after that well one of the problems is and this it the dna for this movie failing in this way the 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 ways we've discussed because overall i really enjoyed it might be in the fact that it's um based on a book now I, I was looking into this, and you mentioned that you were you were listening to an audiobook of, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the latest Martin Scorsese film that he's going to adapt, and you thought, "Ooh, I wonder how he's going to implement this." There's there's a lot of there's a lot of things to establish early on. Now I was reading about Rafifi, and in the book, 
the actual heist itself is only one or two pages long and in the script is 45 pages so this this is where a good director comes along and and the power of what a good director is in fact if you want to point to what a director is this is probably one of the ultimate movies in terms of he picks some maybe the source material is weak i don't know i've never read it but he picks something in it and found something that he could build and showcase his directorial skill around and it's actually based on a real heist as well funnily enough and and heists afterwards have been based on this movie in fact they had to ban the movie from mexico because it at the time because a lot of copycat heists um happened because of it so the director obviously looked at this book well i'm only presuming but one of the reasons why is he could have picked this. Oh, there's a great. I can. I always want to do a heist movie. I can build a heist around around this movie, and uh, I can showcase what I'm really interested in. And maybe all the other lingering things that we have a problem with are left over from the novel. For instance, it it feels like the the final third comes out of nowhere. But if I think back, they were establishing an almost family crisis that that could occur in terms of how the joe and tony and his son it's his godson and they they do establish they do establish building blocks for drama that can be exploited later and maybe in the book that's that's what they're building towards and and that's what's left over from the movie and mm. when 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 it does happen it, it just lost my interest as i said but you know what this movie reminded me of even in the final third which redeemed some of the things that i'm not interested in is it reminded me of le circle rouge a little bit there's a scene in le, le circle rouge where he's escaping a train because he's handcuffed and the the camera follows him slowly moving the chains over and getting out the train now, just by showing someone escaping with a camera like that, it, it can make it really exciting. And and later on, like you mentioned, the shootout, the, the, there's going to be a heist movie in the future where there's high-octane gun shootouts, and it's built around that. But the spacing in between trying to take the shot between the two characters later on in, in this movie with, with the, the mob boss, hmm. and he's trying to take out Tony, is really good. No triggers are being pulled as well. I no mean, it's triggers. Yeah, like it, it, just the restraint. It reminds me of the car chase scene that opens the film Drive, where it, you're, it's the lack of what's happening that yeah. the tension is in. And and if yeah. you, if nowadays people would be windows would be exploding, people would be doing like mm. cartwheels and and like it, it would be machine guns rather than like a pistol. Like it, it, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's brilliant um, to see uh, how um, how much meaning everything has in this film. Yeah, and even the scene where he gets the drop on Joe. Hmm. Normally, that would be a scene where it's, it's almost like a, a cat in a horror movie where, oh, you think you have the drop? But actually, where it's like, oh, no, he's dead. And we're not going to show that. We're going to hear two gunshots come off. So you're like, oh, maybe... Maybe he got a shot in. It's like, no, he didn't. He just got shot twice. And there's a lot of scenes like that that just are, are very good cinema later on to excuse the the plot going in a way that me and you didn't enjoy as much. But I thought the final scene where he did get shot and he's he's speeding back 
<laughs> through town and the kid is totally oblivious to it was maybe hinted on what what you were saying uh, early on in, in terms of like we have to make sure that it's we're not we can't make this so cool that people will try it even though people did you you need to get caught and and you mentioned there's two there's two scenarios in the heist movie one where they have a cigarette there's a sunrise and they shake hands and they're like we did it and you're like okay cool that they did it and then there's another where which i have i have more of a problem with the second one you mentioned mainly because when they're trying to get away with it and somebody gets shot you're like oh that was a shock oh that was a shock and then oh now this guy's getting killed oh uh, and it kind of it kind of shows this and so i guess they're all going to slowly die and it kind of takes on a horror movie aspect then where you're like i guess we're going to get down to the final girl and then probably because they're putting moral over or of a storytelling the final girl is going to die as well and, and it becomes very like formulaic in terms of just waiting for people to die and yeah. the excitement goes away yeah absolutely and i think it's interesting what you were saying about like it's adapted from a, a novel and maybe the director identified the heist as the film he wanted to make but the novel mm. is more of a general crime movie um that i mean i know it's just a theory and you haven't read the book but that that certainly rings true when you consider how how well developed the heist is the planning of it every ingredient that goes into it and how underdeveloped certain other aspects of the film are like it, even joe and his wife and his kid and stuff they're yeah. quite generic characters that we don't know much about we don't really like is the wife cool with this is she disapproving like she doesn't really get to do anything that kind of adds to the movie um why does joe want to do this i know that there's obviously money involved and you could say that's just that's enough but it's there isn't really um that there there is very little characterization given to the majority of people in this movie and there's things like um the the character that's introduced seemingly as like the femme fatale that's the whole thing's gonna uh, you know pivot around she's just mm. not in it after, well she is she does yeah. make an appearance in the third act actually like a crucial appearance but she's not a major character in the film really yeah yeah it just feels like everything and and i wonder if the novel is more of a dense web of character motivation and stuff like that and and the director and writer went what's interesting here is the heist movie and then made yeah. a really good heist movie and then sort of underserved a lot of the other ingredients in the film and it, it you're distracted by the fact that the cinematography and the editing and everything is so fantastic that even when things are a bit shallow or formulaic or um plodding in the kind of inevitability of like what's going to happen in the second half of the movie you're still watching brilliant filmmaking doing that mm. kind of thing on a technical level so it's it's fine i mean i'm certainly wasn't bored i wasn't like waiting to um turn off the movie kind of thing but it is it is clear where the uh excitement <laughs> from the, yeah. the director lies and that's in making this heist film and it, it certainly made me want to go back and and contextualize it a bit for my own sake like what watch the heist films if indeed there were any that were kind of leading up to that and kind of at the same time because I'm 
I really wonder nowadays when people are excited about making a heist movie, it's because they're already that's a thing that already exists and, and stuff yeah. like that. So, you know, I'm sure almost any cinephile would would like love the chance to make a, a heist movie. I wonder back then what was you know it is it, different if it's kind of like set you know forming it or or, or mm. making it for the first time um but yeah it, it's that, that that's i think it's a film that's always talked about as a heist film as the best heist film and stuff like that and i wonder if that has it, what's got lost in the shuffle is that outside of the heist it does have its kind of flaws or it is a bit mm. more formulaic yeah, I think this is a good place to say au revoir, Michael, and we'll we'll have you back on in a in a few weeks' time again, and we'll we'll hopefully find another very good movie like Rafifi certainly is. Many thanks. Fantastic. Okay. Well, yeah. Thanks for having me, and I'll talk to you next time.